0: There is a port of call for travelers from a thousand worlds. A sanctuary for those seeking peace. A haven for smugglers and thieves. And a dream for the future. It is a fort dedicated to the survival of the universe. It is a U.N. or in neutral territory. It is a space station called Babylon 5.
1: Premieres Wednesday at 8 on Channel 13. In a timeless battle between war... They're firing on anything that moves. ...and peace.
0: I've come to offer you an adventure. There is only one hope for the future. No one is pure. No one. One dream kept
1: alive. Surrender your vessels or be destroyed. By an outpost in space
0: dedicated to peace. We'll strike back and we'll strike back hard. Babylon 5, the series. Coming soon to TTV4. And ho, oh, here we go. And back with another exclusive episode. I have Will Johnson, formerly of the Down Below a Babylon 5 podcast. Here we're doing just that, just in five seasons of the entire series, a spinoff show, and then the individual movies that followed. And fortunately, I'll have the trailers to introduce each one for those just now getting into this franchise. One thing that does appeal to us is just uh, talking about shows that, you know, for this podcast that really are always revisited, have always been uh, discussed or mentioned. Uh, there's always been a fan base for it. It's it's just so unreal. And one of those does happen to be uh, Babylon 5, which, uh, you know, uh, made so many uh, people better known, uh, so many uh, re- recreated a bunch of alternatives to the sci-fi fan base. It, it was so unreal to think that this, ins- with this and Stargate, they proved that, you know, and there didn't have to be another franchise, you know, like Star Wars or Star Trek. You could have ones that took the best bits from them while being their own worlds. And uh, it was just so unheard of. And with this one in particular, it's been interesting how uh, so many careers are launched from it, uh, so many... Themes are kind of repeated loosely, and uh, for better or worse, uh, many uh, who talk about this have just always been able to find an audience for it. Uh, I don't know if it's still on Amazon Prime. I think you have to pay for it now, but it was free about uh, last year. And it on... was free on another station as well.
1: I can't remember the name oh, of it. Right Comet
0: yeah comet tv it's either yeah. Comet or pluto and it's just free cable it's one of those free cable apps and it just plays various tv shows daily and that's hard because it's live tv it's like well you're not going to be able to necessarily kind of record it no okay uh. um uh but uh probably i guess right now uh voodoo has been getting some uh the walmart streaming app has been getting some good uh discussion because uh Basically, they got some of the older archived, like network versions of certain shows, and they uh, they kind of just, even though it's full screen, sometimes cuts to widescreen. Reportedly, according to a few Reddit posts, but uh, I've been meaning to get that since I, you know, I own Crusade on Prime, and I would like to get a better version of the show. <laughs> You know, I, I'll always try and buy the DVDs used when I see them on occasion and introduce them to people, but it'd be cool to, yeah, just show it on Vudu the way it's meant to be seen, as good as we're going to get for now. Um yeah, so It would what,
1: make so much sense for it to be on HBO Max since Warner Brothers owns that. But I yeah. know,
0: <laughs> that's a wonderful idea. I never thought of that, but that's so true, is like, it. this is the studio that knows there's a fan base, but they're not interested in working on it. And the creator, you know, he doesn't have enough money, you know, to buy it back from him. Why would you? It just would be so much harder.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Especially if you got a bigger studio talking smack about you and saying, Oh, he took our property away from us, you know? <laughs> um, and <laughs> uh, I, you know, he's so, I can't blame him for being cynical yet at the same time. I think, because he hasn't been playing the network game for so long, he's just, I think he's just fed up, because they screwed him over so many times, not only with this and Crusade, but also with uh, the show since 8 for Netflix. And so yeah, just long story short, guys, uh, just, uh, J. Michael Straczynski was a comic book uh, writer. He later became known for the Like It or Hate It uh, Spider-Man comics, and uh, you know, Superman comics, and but he was previously known for uh, Captain Planet. Not Captain Planet. Uh, she- what, what's it called? Oh, the
1: Real Ghostbusters. Um, oh, yeah.
0: Real Ghostbusters. And uh, I want to
1: say she Uh he,
0: he did write for He-Man and She-Ra type stuff. Uh, yeah, he he teams up with a uh, veteran producer, Doug Natter. And yeah, it's Captain Power is what it is, which okay, is a okay. show that lasts full season finally got a dvd release with him even uh being interviewed but uh it was just one of those it was criticized for being a little violent but for both kids and adults and it it it's a fun show it, you could easily get into it nowadays if you wanted something else kind of like space 1999 or star trek or even power rangers and uh so yeah he he works with showtime on jeremiah he then gets back into the writing screenplays uh, like, you know, World War Z, Ninja Assassin and uh, Thor in the 2011 movie and Changeling for Eastwood. And he talks about how because he'd been doing so much TV, you know, everyone's like, where did this cool, you know, writer come from? You know, we've never seen him in the film industry. So he, he does some Terminator comic books also, which I had no idea, but I totally would love to get. Um, I read some of
1: those. Yeah, They're, they're really good. That's lovely.
0: And so... I guess you could say it it made sense that he later teamed up with the Wachowski brothers. I always kind of found him similar to, you know, creating all these fifth element type, you know, universes. Um, He, you know, he so he's pretty much done it all. You know, he's done so many books, movies and uh, comics and even plays. So, I mean, for him to have this big a career uh, as well as, you know, writing even comics that are tie-ins to other movies and shows it, he's just been a a go-to dude you know just all the time just if you want to even just go to his wikipedia page you'll just see countless It's like wow he did that oh my god and he, even if he gets self-indulgent he does it in a way where it, it's kind of easy to see why he's a fan of you know the west wing with aaron sorkin he has kind of that just the whole dialogue is everything, characters, everything, develop everybody, have the words. He's even been his own personal critic saying, yeah, I got too wordy with that episode and everything. But you can't kind of blame him too badly because, I mean, he he really does care about just having everybody stand out and not just rely on just the actors to create everything like most shows kind of do. And I mean. It kind of helped that, you know, after Captain Power, he wrote for, you know, he freelanced for Jake and the Fat Man. And then, (laughs) well, yeah, there you go. And even after B5, he was always part of the murders She Wrote uh, franchise. He would write, you know, various episodes early on and then years later just wrote a few of the movies. Uh, And so I think that just really helped him stay relevant. He was just always just picking everybody's brains. He was good at just being in the door. He... And I mean, I, a lot of people love uh, he, he embraced the Internet. That's been noted in several, you know, different reviews and movies. And it definitely played to his benefit. It just acknowledged that, you know, before the WB, you know, Warner Brothers has this, you know, WNN uh, network, you know, <laughs> and, uh, they move this franchise later to TNT and, you know, it, uh, and do a few, you know, other TV movies and one movie that, you know airs on sci-fi and uh, later a direct-to-video movie that kind of closes it all out. But I mean, for a franchise like this, I, I do have to say this was this was something uh, my uncle used to watch it. He was in a crappy uh, married life at this point. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but he would always watch the show when he could. And then he wasn't able to when it moved to TNT and he didn't have you know cable. So <laughs> it was interesting how he stayed up with it all these years. I. Got into this in college, probably circa 2012. I just always knew about it. I'd see parts of it on Sci-Fi Channel re-airing, but I just, you know, who has the time? I was yeah, I was already in the morning, you know, worn out from watching hysterical cartoons and even mystery science theater, <laughs> which, in a way, I totally recommend to fans of that show because this show is very zany, very nutty at first. Uh, how did you get into it? Um, well, I was
1: very much a Star Trek fan, uh, but I... I don't really remember how I became aware of it, but but I guess I heard about it um, and I just decided just to sit down and give it a shot. And it it came on Saturday nights where I lived. Um, So I used to watch like Saturday Night Live religiously, but I just decided to watch um, the show. it was when I was in high school. Um, So I decided to watch it and then I just kept watching it. And later I went and figured out at which point I started watching. And this would have been somewhere around the end of season three.
0: Really? To okay. just
1: pick it up in the middle of it. Cause back then we didn't have everything on DVD or streaming Yeah. To catch up on it.
0: <laughs> you don't set the video recording. You're, it's done. And, uh, Brzezinski no and other people even would note how, it, I think it's even Claudia and, uh, Jerry Doyle, the actors here, uh, mentioned how it got very ridiculous after a while, how, Uh, It would be sometimes be overridden by a local, you know, sports game. And so people wouldn't watch the follow up episode on the day. And so it's easy to lose viewership. It's kind of wild how it kept finding an audience on DVD around early 2000s. You know, the VHSs they I think they did just about all the episodes up until like 98. So I think I don't think can find any of season five on VHS.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I kept watching when I went to college. I made it a. Uh, yeah, because my freshman year in college, about half, it was January. My freshman year was when it moved to TNT and, you know, five nights a week, they would play the oh, old episodes. They started at season one and went all the way through. So I would make oh, it a nice. point to be home from wherever for uh, dinner at uh, time to, you know, watch the episode or record it because I did have a VCR. But so that's how I got caught up on the first four seasons of the first the parts I hadn't seen. And, um, yeah, I don't think when I first started watching, I knew anything about, well, I guess we'll get into it. I didn't know anything about Sheridan until they started airing reruns on TNT.
0: On Babylon 5, some conspire to keep the beast while others fight to destroy it. Babylon 5, Wednesdays at 8 on WGNT. It's like, oh,
1: there was <laughs> someone else before, um, not Sheridan Sinclair Sinclair just, no but that's fine
0: sense. no that's true I uh, my, my pal uh, Tony uh, Dodson was watched a lot of it back in the day and he was always just so pissed he's like if I want to watch Box and I'll watch Tron you know <laughs> why they get rid of the old captain he was cool and I think he tuned in you know he liked the episode where they team up together in season three but he was still he's like why you know and I'm like well you don't understand the show must go on and He's just one of those, if an actor changes up, you know, that's how he was with Criminal Minds And their shows, <laughs> he just stops watching, comes too attached. And I'm uh-huh. like, uh, I, I treat this show kind of like I do with Major Crimes in the Closer. is like if and most of the main crew is there and there's just one person anchoring it who was already established in the previous show, I'll, I'll bite, you know. Obviously, some shows really do suffer because they just – whatever creativity is there everyone's just not jiving or it's past its prime they're just rushing it just trying to get it done and i get how you know it can be hard to do especially when everyone else is just you know working overnight you know getting only three hours of sleep i get it but at the same time it's just a little annoying so launching into season one I, i really did do justice and watch the whole thing two years ago i just had always seen parts of it here and there and seen people talk to it to death. But um, yeah, uh, season one is definitely very slow, very mysterious,
1: very and episodic, um...
0: taking its time, but always having something unusual every minute. Uh, I actually do have friends who never gave this the time of day because they they did not like the graphics. And this is without even realizing you know, how it was, how it was converted later on. You know, they lost, uh, you know, the video files, so they weren't able to remaster it properly. But I mean, with this one, I wouldn't say it's make it or break it. I know a lot of people who swear this is the best one and others who hate it. So I'll, I'll just say it pretty much just start, introduces the whole conflict. There was already a TV pilot called The Gathering. That one I actually watched after watching the first few initial episodes and I kind of yeah. enjoyed it and it's kind of a fun kind of music video, but if you want anything deep, you're not going to get it. it. It is very, I guess you could say an incomplete TV movie of the week. Uh, a <laughs> lot of people complain about Tamlin Tamita, Karate Kid 2 fame, kind of being a questionable character. And uh, she ends up kind of ironically kind of being mentioned in spinoff material as one of the ones who was mentioned to be a traitor on the station. So <laughs> yeah,
1: that,
0: it kind of makes sense for a departure, but uh,
1: then they replaced the doctor as well. I know. Is, so I would yeah. love to see they mention him um, later on the series, but yeah, it would be nice to see more of him. But, but we got Dr. Franklin, too.
0: Dr. Franklin. Yeah. So wait, we got Sinclair plugged by Michael O'Hare, who's was a character actor and, later had uh, schizophrenia and had to leave after season one. But uh, he has the authoritative voice. And uh, uh, you have Ivanova, who's, you know, part Russian, part Jewish uh, executive officer. And then you have the security chief, Jerry Baldi, played by Jerry Doyle. <laughs> and yes, he is bald. He's joked about as being the Bruce Willis of the show. You have uh, Dr. Franklin, like you say, who is medical examiner and very intelligent can be arrogant or very comforting, depending on who he's talking to. And that's where it kind of becomes, you know, the show was pitched as Hill Street Blues. At times, it does even kind of feel like the better moments of earlier St. Elsewhere and E.R. (laughs) Definitely am fascinated by him in kind of a Geordi on Star Trek kind of way, where he's just he's just very fascinated by everything and very down to earth, you know?
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we we had a running joke on our podcast about how <laughs> yes. the Yeah, he did you no know, maybe some inappropriate closeness to some of his patients. I'll just put it that oh, way.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially where he meets uh what's his what's her name? Mary Ann Johnson from in the heat of the night in that one yeah. episode is like, Whoa, okay, whoa. And I think she lasts like two episodes and then is gone and I'm like <laughs> uh. Doctors can't have romance, I guess. But I, I don't know. I, I think I'd be interested to know about that because I know later on there are characters who are introduced and I totally just space out of them. I just forget them as soon as they enter because, you know, it was the network interfering and the creator had to slowly make them descend to the background or kill yeah. them off because he's like, you're not messing with my vision, buddy. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is kind of more... This is better than the Star Wars movies at Outer Space Politics. You got uh, Londo, who's basically a Napoleonic uh, 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 race of Centauri aliens. He's played by Peter Jurisic, who was uh, the snitch on Hill Street Blues. And then you got Ambassador Jakar, who... Uh, of uh the narn race and he's played by andreas katsulas who was filming this uh the same year as he was the one-armed man villain in the movie version of the fugitive so oh yeah these these are all actors who've been around for years they're definitely remembered for them more uh i gotta say uh, a lot of people say you know these guys are have either a love hate or just kind of a they're very much like The similar, you know, at around the same time, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which despite B5, you know, being complete and scripted before this, you know, maybe even having some episodes filmed before, you know, it doesn't come out until after Deep Space Nine comes out. And they apparently had a settlement or something between Paramount and Warner Brothers. But I think uh, I'll just say this. I think you can enjoy all of Star Trek and uh, B5, but. I definitely feel like B5, for whatever reason, I just, despite its budget and some occasional hammy acting, I, I think you're definitely going to get into this more just because of how it brings a lot of humanity to its weirdness. Just having this kind of just sneak attacks, just some turmoil in the kingdom, so to speak, just some people just up to mischief on the station, just kind of has a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of policing. Don't get me wrong, they're not Nazi cops, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God if anybody had said anything inappropriate, the show would have just dated poorly beyond belief. But uh, yeah, uh, the security guys are always kind of thrown off by detail. It, in many ways, it is kind of like the star Wars cantina. If you had to police it on a station in space and um, I'll, 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 I'll pass it over to you. What was your general takeaway on it? What did it, uh, it hooked me instantly, but I could see where it still had a ways to go. But, uh, well, well, uh, how did you react when you were watching it and have seen it over the years, general take on it?
1: Uh, I think I always thought of season one as being the weakest. But when we when I started re-watching it for the podcast, I think we all really very much appreciated season one. And we kind of really came to like uh, Jeffrey Sinclair, even though there's so much criticism because of his performance and, you know, and... Uh, his um, his kind of voice and you know, but I That's, really
0: was kind of weird because it's like he has the body posture, but he doesn't really do anything with it. He just kind of relies on the voice and the. Vo- he was blasted by critics when this came out, apparently, by according to a few different articles, and yet, he kind of resonated with a lot of TV fans, and it's like, wow, okay, I've never seen such conflicting accounts. <laughs> yeah,
1: but TV? there are some really. There are some stinker episodes in season oh, one, absolutely. but there are also some really good ones. And it's the ones that basically are starting to set up the story arc, which, you know, for the time, you know. um
0: Yeah. If
1: five was, cool. was so influential on TV, you know, even you know, JMS, Jim Michael she says that people have told him, you know, privately that. Yeah, we kind of based our story arc structure on Babylon Five like Damon Lindelof and Ron yeah. Moore.
0: Yeah. and that 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 is so complimentary because yeah, you you looking at this now, you totally see, you know, he was supposed to do Star Trek Enterprise, but they totally stole his blue, you know, NASA type outfits, you know. Yeah. Uh, Starship Troopers, even though that's a satire, you know. It all to be fair, the book already had somewhere but then, yeah, you have Space Above and Beyond, which is a short-lived cult show totally we're seeing for every generation. And then the new Battlestar Galactica and, yes, uh, obviously Stargate and maybe even parts of Dark Matter, just with the mystery and intrigue, how one moment there's a alien or Blade Runner type moment and then it often finishes off. I mean, especially here in season one, there's like one episode where you're totally reminded of aliens and then uh, there's even a predator type creature in one is like she's yeah. <laughs> yeah i am totally with you there it there are some episodes where you'll watch them and it's like i like the beginning i it kind of had some lame one-liners at the end i'm that the mystery was super-
1: episode <laughs>
0: oh is that the one yeah it all topples all over him i'm like <laughs> did that really need to be in there because that it, it literally didn't look at like it went with the entire set at all and uh, i did at once have a a big TV fan boyfriend of mine just say, whoever designed this should have been thrown in front of a firing squad. I'm like, ouch, (laughs) he he was not digging the set design, but to be fair, I think that's why it did so well. Just finishing up on time. You had actors who were motivated. They all went home at 6 PM, got to spend time with their family, you know, so no divorces. Well, well, for most of them. And, uh, uh, they, they had someone who had worked in the theater, Art scene, so he was good at just making a lot of stuff out of nothing over a limited time frame. That the average episode would often cost six hundred thousand. I'm like, wow, you know that? How do you do that? Because I mean, the average Star Trek episode was two million. So, uh, they really were just embracing their low budget side. I, I have to say, the cinematographers, though, uh, especially John C. Flynn, who later directs a bunch of episodes, uh, and had worked on every steven bochco show like you know la law hill street blues and nypd blue i i, I do have to commend him for really just using a lot of ex- experimental type shots tracking shots even you know handheld and shoulder mounted you know steady cam. and it's around the same time where it's being embraced on stuff like homicide life on the street and law and order and uh Uh, kudos to him i I really did make a difference and i think that's why it's held up so long it's not so staticky like a sitcom you know yeah uh but i i think like you say it really does get going like in the later half although it does take a bunch to realize like even free episodes in the following seasons like whoa wait so the main guy is not returning okay (laughs) it's like what, what did they mean by he ran away? Oh, 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 he went into hiding. Got it. Like you say, it is pretty self-indulgent of itself. There's enough interesting and kind of what the fuck kind of stuff that gets your attention. But uh, I think it survived so long because some people eventually got an idea that, oh, it's leading somewhere. It's just so weird. I like the sexy looking cast, so I'll give it a go. Uh, but yeah. like you say, it doesn't draw you right away to where you're like, hmm, And yeah, my my sister instantly bailed on this when I was introducing this to her. And my mother was kind of not into it at first. She just found the makeup and other stuff bizarre. And personally, I kind of like the makeup, but I can understand why some who are a little more nitpicky and want everything to be kind of like Stan Winston or Rick or Hellraiser level. And they're going to not dig some of the stuff. I think it helps that they did start they have loads of various TV actors guesting on here, but even especially Star Trek guys, like one of Khan's right-hand man from Wrath of Khan is in one episode, but then you got, uh, once again, himself, Walter Koenig, uh, who played Chekhov on the original track is Bester. Yeah. And I think the side corpse is interesting because you instantly know that there's a bunch of corruption. This is basically a Nazi empire that, you know, America is a whole different thing. You know, it's, I guess, didn't they mention there was a Third World War at one point, or am I getting that mixed up with something else?
1: I don't remember a Third World War. Um, I know there was one in Star Trek. Um,
0: Oh, okay, yeah, that's what uh, I'm talking about. But uh, it's kind of similar where it's a fascist, you know, paramilitary government, and, uh, you know, both my mother and I really do kind of dig Koenig's role here as Bester here because it's a total it's a total stretch from Chekhov. Chekhov, I don't know. I know some people dug him. You know, girls thought he was cute. Guys kind of liked how he got to pilot the ship and fire the weapons. I, I don't know. I, I thought he did okay in the movies, but on the show, I would always be like, "Just let Sulu handle it, dude. You're, you're just <laughs> stretching your Rs and your Russian. You know, making a hitting a home to us that you're Russian." Um, and uh, here he he really does kind of. I'd even say he has some kind of lovely voiceovers and he just, you could even argue that his humor is tied with Dr. Franklin, Jerobaldi and Jakars. It just, he just has some unusual social overlooks and it's kind of weird for him because he knows what entity he is yet at the same time, he's so used to brainwashing people that he knows what he's become, but he's so kind of proud of what he is. And, you know, he's so used to using fear tactics because that's kind of how he survived as long as he's, done it.
1: I really enjoyed all the If I just found out like two days ago that a new friend of mine is a Babylon 5 fan and I Ooh. found out because he was trashing the psych he was saying that was the <laughs> worst part of Babylon 5. I was like, no, it's not.
0: And they definitely were more interesting villains and I have to say they definitely play better than some of the secretive secret police, the Gestapo on I mean, I know they are introduced on Deep Space Nines, but when you see them on Voyager, it's like, Ugh, just be your own show. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like with this, you definitely like you say, you you know, it's going somewhere and you're kind of fearing them a bit. Not like, ooh ah, but it's like, oh, this cannot be good. They're sent by the president. They answer to him. You know, no wonder every other show had to be like this or the X-Files, everyone often goes when, you know, it's a conspiracy show. Oh yeah. It's twin peaks or X-Files. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm getting more of a B five reference, especially if it's a five season uh, run, like Person yeah. of interest. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I- I'm kind of totally tip my hat to them because, you know, B five definitely makes a lot of serialized TV. Cool. It definitely, for whatever reason, the Warner executives, I think it was Nutter who was keeping them at bay. The producer, and Straczynski was just running wild, and he pretty much finds out right on. It's like, okay, you director, you producer, you guys, you're going to guest direct, and after this episode, you're done. You, you totally don't get it. You're, you were able to get it done on time, but you, you just don't get it. I do recall some people saying uh, Adam Nomoy wasn't well liked. I could understand that because I know he only directed like two to three episodes. No, um, yeah, I didn't hear that. But, but see, that's just it. It was in one of those like, Q&A groups, and they couldn't under- remember where they heard it. I'm like, eh, it's a rumor, so you <laughs> kind of yeah. could back up the rumor. Um, it helps that a lot of the actors who were being unpleasant, that they had a no-bullying policy, and this comes from one of the DVDs you get from the official site. came out in 2016, a few years before Jerry Doyle passed away. He, he and Claudia Christian even mentioned how another actor, Robert Rosler of Nightmare on Elm Street 2, was known for being a prick and that they pretty much gabbed enough to where Straczynski quietly just wrote him off as dying in one episode. He's like, okay, he's done after these next few episodes. (laughs) And so I think that's lovely. That's definitely a rarity. Nowadays, everyone's just so used to different personas and just blinded by the money. They just, they only are going to fire someone if someone just flat out is just refusing to do the work. And it's just so annoying how it's still a thing. I'm like, no, you, you got to be civilized. And I know a lot of people are used to it because, you know, it's long hours. Everyone's restless, just wanting to get it done. And Actors are known to be weird or difficult. I mean, yeah. and that I can understand why a lot of them, when they're done acting, they they don't want to risk being typecast or being offered crappy, uh, not so different roles that they just go into directing. They pull a Eric LaSalle, Timothy Buzzfield, <laughs> you know? Everybody on uh, 30-something or ER pretty much just gets into directing TV.
1: One of the the Star Trek actors are directing now. Oh, yeah,
0: Jonathan Franks. But, yeah, even so many other ones, like Robert Duncan McNeil had a big career on Chuck, and then you have uh, Roxanne Dawson, who played Tories on Voyager. She directed all various shows, like Crossing Jordan The Closer, and uh, it's just awesome seeing... Yeah. And it's just awesome seeing these people is like they really do know how to get everything done on time. They've been studying with all the people. They've been had a good word put in for them. And yeah, Franks, he was having to remember doing so good at it. He had to remember to teach himself how to act again when he did the new Picard show. And uh, Dawson, she mentioned how she was absolutely sick the first day and she was like, this is make it or break it. I'm not going to let on that. I'm feeling very sick today. I'm like, man, you go, girl. I can't... Who can do that? You know? <laughs> Yeah, he, he did so many goofy kids' movies and sci-fi channel stuff under different names. It, he didn't take it seriously, but he was having lots of fun. And uh, on the Crusade uh, DVD, he at one point even jokes, he's like, yeah, we got to film it just like those... How they do it on NYPD Blue. They just do all those circulating around. It's all fun. <laughs> and, um, it, it definitely... I will say his episodes definitely feel like he's just kind of letting the style do the talking. He's just so distracted and having too much fun doing it. <laughs> By that point, you're kind of not as aware of it because you know you're just paying attention to the big plot line. Uh, I do have to say, uh, season one, like you say, it, if you watch it at first, it's kind of be a mixed bag, but. If you have one of those new uh, episode guidebooks, including a few very recent, very well worded ones, you definitely get a better feel for it. You're definitely going to need a bit of an assistance. So if you're going to get into this, definitely make sure that you are a hardcore fan of Star Wars or Trek. I'll definitely say, in a way, if you can't even get into Star Trek, which, you know, curses, how dare you, but there there's there's plenty of that who are that way if you can't get into stuff like that i i think you could still get into b5 because i mean more or less i mean it kind of does have enough intrigue there's always kind of a shit hitting the fan on on the station and it always ends with a full scale battle each season (laughs) and so it, it definitely has similar intrigue to star wars it just uses all the star trek type verbiage and technology, you know Computer activate, you know, shit like that. But
1: I love how in season one they just slowly start to introduce, the, introduce the villains for. A lot.
0: Yeah, I was surprised how they let out of the cat, the cat out of the bag that quickly. Because I mean, what show does that nowadays? <laughs> Usually, you don't get it until like the cliffhanger for season two or. Uh, nowadays, a lot of shows do do it, but. Between, you know, 2020 and 93, it was still kind of a rarity to see it all just laid out on the table. So uh, I, it's definitely a rarity. Um, I definitely didn't see it coming. Uh, I, I knew there was a lot of political intrigue and supposedly crooked, of you know, White House equivalent officials. But it was like, damn, OK. There's a giant-ass explosion. Who caused it? So Now it's kind of going into Roshamanville. Who could have done it? Curses. I've forgotten to introduce uh, Delin who is a human-looking alien of the Mimbari race. <laughs> they are counter to the Centauri and the Narns, and they have pretty much make up this whole coalition, just different aliens all talking to each other while the humans are basically becoming the... Not the judge or jury, but just kind of just the final helping rule out a verdict and hopefully resolve it. They don't always resolve it because that would just be boring if it, they did. But what was your take on her? Who could have seen that she was going to start having a thing for Sheridan?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, when I first started watching the show, I guess it was already kind of. back, But I really did love to lend even though. I kind of poke fun at her on the podcast, but you know, she's one of the best characters on the show. And then
0: it's an LGBT show before it was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> then a
1: few years later, um, she shows up on Lost. I'm like, hey, I know who that is. That's Dylan Ooh. from about one Five.
0: Oh, she was so gorgeous when, without the makeup uh, in yeah. earlier years. But yeah, when, when they finally give her hair and everything, just the crown, I'm like, okay, cool. I can dig it. So yeah, season 2 uh, Sheridan's gone missing. There's a new captain assigned. It's Sheridan played by Bruce Boxleitner in his first big TV gig since uh, how the West was Won" TV show in the seventies. So some people kind of have a love hate relationship. Some people like him, but feel like he kind of loves the sound of his own voice. And other people kind of, I don't know, for whatever reason, despite <laughs> him being a guy who kind of is very hearty and not necessarily always funny. He, he is kind of a badass, if that makes sense, but kind of a natural kind of leading man. So I guess that's kind of the draw of the show. They were able to just really just draw you in. Is like, okay, he's not just the new guy. He is just a similar no-nonsense guy. He does act kind of similar by principle, like by Sinclair, but at the same time, he's already breaking a bunch of rules. He just it's one of those, you know, don't mention it. You know? <laughs> uh, a few different episodes, uh, I guess what really just draws one into it is how he's, he understands about the alien race, the shadows, which literally that's what they look like. And he's, you know, keeping a bunch of guys. He's kind of being bad cop and letting Garibaldi and all the other guys be good cops. And, uh, we're also introduced to, uh, wait, we, we get more of, um, uh, Oh, what's his name? Oh, um, um, no. Well, yeah, there is Kosh. Uh, that's a little detailed, uh,
1: Oh, good, Zach.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zach. We're introduced to Zach as another uh, officer. Yeah, it's Jeff Conaway. Yeah, plays Zach Allen, and uh, he gets some comedic lines. He's kind of more just kind of a righteous as opposed to, you know, hardy har-har, I'm an (laughs) asshole, like Jerobaldi. We got a bunch of other characters. Some people have been kind of just supporting people, and they get more screen time. Season 2 is pretty slow, but I – still but it's still kind of a little more comfortable if that makes sense
1: yeah in my mind season two it like starts out, it started out right off the bat just so much better than season one but then when i was re-watching it for the podcast I'm like oh wait it takes a little while for it to really pick up in my memory yeah, you know, my memory was wrong about that
0: i'm i'm with you it, yeah. it it's kind of a slow build up and then midway through you're it's like non-stop frantic but deliberate, as opposed to I feel like something's going on and I don't know what's going on. But no, you you know, something's going on. And now uh, you're really even more divided with both uh, Jakar and uh, Londo because now they are really, you know, backstabbing each other. And, yeah, and they've started to sh- show different sides of them. Londo's kind of more a playboy and even more so. And uh, Jakar has shown a few different sides of them saying I'm not just a, you know, Ruthless dude out to kill people. Actually, him being attacked and doing this for my home world so is like okay. I I understand you're not just at first. I thought he was a saboteur or just gonna keep the conflict going on.
1: Yeah, Jakar was kind of an ass. Well, he's kind of a jerk in season one. With any, you know, season two, you see a different side of him. and Yeah, Rondo shows all this character development as well, and. Season two is where you really start to see the conflict with the shadows pick up uh, steam a lot more. Just um, so much going on. You see, um, what's her name? Talia Winners.
0: <laughs> yeah, but uh, it I we, we had a Thompson who <laughs> later leaves this for NYPD Blue, and I, I see some people hate her, and other people. I don't know. Her voice just always turned me on, and it. I I'd watched 24 so many times the season she was on, and I just always. Yeah, I remember. She, she left
1: NYPD Blue to go do headline news for a while. Oh yeah! But every once in a while, I like flipping through the channels, and she'll pop up in something that, yeah, you know, like some TV show. But I always I, we had a running joke on our show because I always you know. The way that she speaks, she kind of moves her mouth in a weird way, but then I like watch video of myself speaking, and I'm like, oh, I do the same thing, so I have no room to you know, make fun of her.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it is kind of... At first, I'm like, is she an alien a, in human form? Oh, yeah. They're like the Betazoids on Star Trek. They're telepathic. Oh, okay, so that's why they're going full-blown weird.
1: <laughs> yeah. And we got uh, Lita Alexander back. She was in the pilot, but then disappeared, <laughs> um, but she came back in season two.
0: Mm hmm. And, and that's what's confusing about it at first, it's like, whoa. Oh, so they're acknowledging that. Oh, OK. Gotcha. 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 Yeah, uh, that's, that's what's very unusual about it is like it. Now it's kind of you don't really see much of Bester as much. And at the same time, you're seeing kind of. Where more TV shows have dared to go, if I had to give examples, probably in CIS, the unit are 24. They're kind of just going for the whole approach where everyone has to work together in just different conflicts. There's a mission each episode. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I can see why this is kind of the breaking point. Some people continue on, others uh, don't bother. But uh, I think it's a way more refreshing one. It's definitely more dramatic without being melodramatic. There's plenty of other episodes that don't really go anywhere there's like maybe free portions that do and the rest is just kind of a you know it it was going to be a victim to being outdated one way or the other anyway like someone being infected seeing something that's not really there that they had to have stuff like that because you know people loved stuff like twilight zone and all the other what the fuck episodes of star trek so they just They had it. And in a way, I think it gets away with it because Traczynski just loves literature and books as a whole. How can he not when he came from an abusive childhood? And so he, in a way, it's kind of, it's not a homage or a ripoff. It's just, it's a love letter, if that makes sense. I definitely took a liking to What's-His-Name, played by uh, Jakar's bodyguard, who's a captured alien Narn, played by martial arts yeah. because at first he's introduced in a running man type thing. They're kidnapped by a bunch of aliens and forced to fight each other to the death on a ship. I'm like, whoa, OK. <laughs> so there's definitely a lot of cyberpunk elements, you know, like Blade Runner or Total Recall at times on this show. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned running man. There's definitely a bunch of people who fight to the death or have collars on their head. You know. <laughs> yeah. Trying to free them. Uh, yeah. I, there's definitely some slower moments. I don't really ever have a problem with the slow moments on shows like these for whatever reason, but I can see why some of them can be in drag for some. Only shows like The Expanse would not exist without shows like this, though. It's just so much level of detail, and anyone should be just thankful that any of it isn't entertaining at all as opposed to a misfire that looks good, you know? So, yeah. so as a whole, would you rank it higher than one or just a little about the same or less than on the recent rewatch? I mean,
1: <laughs> I put it definitely higher than uh, season one. There are fewer stinkers. Are, I don't know if there are any real stinkers. Maybe one.
0: There might be a um, few episodes where yeah. Wando is pretty much it's about his sex life. I'm like, I don't want to know that.
1: Yeah, but there are, some, that. there are a lot of really interesting, really good episodes. Um,
0: there was think, one episode where someone tells uh uh Sheridan something very important. And he just uses he, he's played by Robert Foxworth, who's done a lot of voiceovers for Transformers and been in pretty much every other show from West Wing to Law and Order. Just always been the go to guest star actor with a deep voice. And he he uses like a I, I think he goes, consider me a spider in a trapdoor." And I'm like, that's a little too cute. <laughs> Stop over here with the puns and yeah. symbolism.
1: I think this is the season where uh, Straczynski started his streak of episodes written he, like wrote yeah. every episode <laughs> from somewhere here until he's somewhere in season himself. five. Yeah,
0: <laughs> he's just trying to get it out and have it make sense. And
1: he wants it to be exactly the way he wants it to be. Like, who's better to do it than myself?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, how do you write twenty something episodes a season?
0: Oh man, and that to be—I don't know how he did it. He must have had some serious, great coffee working because I mean, he is flat out just churning them in. He would literally be on set all day and then go home and write all night. I, I don't—how can you do that? So
1: yeah.
0: he must have been taking some great naps because you know most of us, you know, that's like writing an essay for our final and then just. Dragging it out, trying to rewrite it multiple times before we just finally click the submit button.
1: (laughs) What do they say? You're only, most people are only productive for about six hours a day of working.
0: I've heard that (laughs) and I I can't, and it's kind of the problem with writing is like all the good stuff, there's just been so many hours just walking around. What can I do? What can I do to make this better? Something you haven't seen. uh, I've been writing some scripts myself and it's been only been taken like three years. I'm like, gotta rework this. It's too derivative. It's too, you know, it's too self-indulgent. I got to shorten it down to 70 pages. You know, (laughs) it's a 90 minute movie. Oh, the action, you know, you you have to stage that you can't write it all out. That's too much for an actor to consume. I do think this is improvement. I am kind of in the season two to four is kind of the best kind of camp, but I'm going to, I'm going to have an unpopular opinion as we go on. We'll return after these messages. Hello and welcome to Culture Shocked, the pop culture podcast brought to you by four aging millennials and our outdated opinions. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss movies, TV, games and even music, new and old. Dude, what do you think you're doing? Are you seriously trying to record a promo without us right now? Well, uh, Yeah. Dude, you can't just do the promo by yourself. Who's going to listen to that? Yeah, and you probably haven't even told them that we're a pop culture podcast where we always agree on everything. Uh, For instance, the Sam Raimi trilogy easily being the best of the Spider-Man movies. No, no. But I think we can all agree that Jaws is a classical masterpiece. Mm, Nope, don't like that. But we do all agree that the sequel trilogy of Star Wars is the best in the Skywalker saga, right, guys? That comment is so ridiculous i don't even know where to anyways uh that'll do it from all of us here at culture shock thanks for listening and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So, if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts, or check us out at WhoWouldWinShow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR, we add them to our queues, we wait for the DVDs and Blu rays, we time shift. The Time Shifters Podcast.
1: Now back to the feature presentation. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a